Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. You know, one of my favorite things about my wife, Jen Stockman, is the person you see up here is the person I live with at home. Uh, it's super fun being a part of a community that um, we're vulnerable. None of us are perfect, but my wife's pretty close. Everybody give it up for Jen Stockman. <laughs> like this at home. Earlier today, I took a nap in a a full-blown red Christmas onesie. (laughs) And I thought, I feel a little agitated. Like, what's wrong? And then it it hit me. Like, I'm hot. (laughs) I'm hot. I am in a long-sleeve thermal Christmas onesie in Atlanta in July because that is what I look like at home and I will never look like that up here. Let's just be super clear about that because that would definitely distract from the gospel. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, we're just so excited about you today. I have never been more excited in all of my life than I've been excited about you in this season. That our wonder and our awe of you, it just keeps growing. It just keeps growing from glory to glory because you, you are so unending. And, and we just remember when we were just a teeny tiny little seed in the palm of your hand. (laughs) And we were just the dream of a father in the palm of your hand. And you had a heart for us to be a tree firmly planted by streams of living water. And then you plunged us into the dirt And we thought, oh my gosh, he just buried me alive. (laughs) I have been buried alive and he's smiling. He is happy that he just buried me alive. (laughs) And you know, when the world said she's gone for good, he's gone for good. We weren't lost. We were planted. <laughs> and, and Jesus, we, we sprouted up like this little feeble tree. And we would see our father, our farmer every day coming out, getting his knees dirty in the dirt and singing songs of deliverance over who we are, who we would become. (laughs) And you would show the world how to make a garden grow. (laughs) And that you grow things so 
slow. <laughs> and we thought, oh my gosh, I am going to look like a weed the rest of my life. <laughs> I should go back into the dirt. This is embarrassing. <laughs> and every single day, you would come out happy as can be with the song in your heart. So pleased. Look at how my daughter grows. Watch my son grow. And then we, we grew into this tree planted by streams of living water. And we started bearing fruit. And people would rip it off and love what we were producing. And at first, when you came with those scissors, we cringed inside. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> what? What are you going to do with those? <laughs> and then you come and you whisper in our ear, nations are going to come to the brightness of your rising. <laughs> and then all of our limbs just fall to the ground. <laughs>
So tonight, we've showed up to yield. We've showed up to yield, not disgruntled, not complaining, not full of doubt and worry. We've showed up to yield happy because we have fallen in love with you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We think your ways are brilliant. We think they're so far above what we could ever think up on our own. And we've fallen in love with following you into the darkness. We just want to be wherever you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. And so, you guys... I got a favorite passage I'm going to share with you tonight. It's in Luke, Luke 17. And, you know, when I, when I feel the swirlies, okay, anybody ever feel the swirlies? You used to get your mail there, you know. It was a crazy place to live. And, uh, or when I, I just, I feel troubled, I, I come to this To this passage, when I feel tired and weary, I I come to this passage. Okay, we're going to read it together. It's uh, Luke 17, 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? And dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Is that so good? (laughs) You just feel the swirlies burnt off of your soul. And, you know, I love this passage because it's a reminder that your destiny is not out in the field. <laughs> that, that we have missed the mark if we live in the field. We're supposed to come in to the house. Our, our main purpose, our place of greatest assignment is not out in the field with the sheep or the plows. It is serving the master. It is coming before the face of the master and saying, I live for you. And you know, this, this word servant has just become one of the most cherished words right here. And it means, it means bond servant. And it's all, it's all over the New Testament. And, you know, I wanted, I wanted you to hear this guy say it because it's just so great. This is the, this is the Blue Letter Bible. You ready? Strong's G, 1401, doulos. Doulos. Isn't that so soothing? Doulos. Okay, this word servant is doulos. And doulos in like a deep, raspy man voice. And, you know, it means bond servant. And it is, it is the lowest level of servant. And, you know, it takes us to understand what a bond servant is. We have to go back to... Exodus, 
where they are um, receiving laws about slaves. And we find out what a, a doulos, a bond servant is in Exodus 21. It says, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he should go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. And, you know, this, everywhere in the New Testament where we see this word bondservant, it, it is pointing back to this law right here. That, you know, there was four main reasons that Hebrews would become slaves. But the, the main reason a Hebrew would become a slave was because he had a debt that was too great. And he would be sold in exchange for his debt. And after a seven-year period of time, every slave had to be let go free. And this bond servant, this bond slave was a choice at the end of the seven years because of love. This was a choice that I am going to tie myself to you for the rest of my life. I'm going to put it in my flesh. I'm going to pierce my ear so that everyone knows I, I have given away my rights. I don't receive a wage. I don't work for money. I have given my life away for love. And, you know, it's, it's this beautiful prophetic picture of first, you know what Justin was reading for the offering of who our King Jesus would show up and be. That he would see, he, he would lay down his life. That, that word, take the very form of a servant, is doulos. That he would rip himself, he would empty himself of his rights, of his nature. And he would, he would by choice, give away his life to the Father. And, you know, this is the call of the gospel, that when we live a life of duty, we have missed our call. It, it is possible, it is possible to have a revelation of, of being a servant to a master and never cross over into sonship. Never cross over into, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. It's possible to stay your entire life in the realm of servant, serving your, your debt away. You know, that word duty, at the root of it, it means you owed. You owed. I owe something. And when we're living in the realm of duty, we are saying over and over, I'm still working my way out of this hole. I'm still working my way out of this debt that I could not pay. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about, about this 
prophetic picture is that, you know, we lived under an enormous debt. We lived under a debt that we could not pay. And our life was literally tied to the debt. And, you know, Jesus crashed in and ripped all of that debt off of our life. And when we stay in the realm of working out of duty, we have missed the point of coming into the house. And, you know, the beautiful thing is you can have a revelation of a servant life without ever stepping into sonship. But you can't have a revelation of sonship and not run to the door and say, pierce my ear. And not run to the door and throw off everything you do and say, my life is yours forever. You know, the entitlement that we see running rampant, that we see popping up in our own soul, it is not the problem of too much of the sonship message. Entitlement will never be a fruit of, of we just pronounced sonship too much because Jesus is our standard of sonship. Jesus is our standard of a healthy son. And a healthy son took all of his rights and laid them at the feet of his father, emptied himself and said, pierce me, father. Pierce my side. Pierce my soul. I am yours. And so the fruit of sonship in our life is going to show up like it showed up for Jesus because of love, because of love. And, you know, when we become cynical and tired, you know, it, it's because we, we've been out in the field for too long. <laughs> And we forgot, we forgot that the seven years came and went, and I made the choice out of love. I made a choice out of passion. I made a choice because of the nature of my master. And you know, these slaves, they, they, were, they had to, um, this was an act of trust. That 80 years from now, I'm trusting you're still going to care for me. That 25 years from now, my ear is pierced for the rest of my days. And it, it's an act of trust in the goodness of your master. I'm trusting your nature for me. I'm trusting your care over me for whatever might come. And, you know, this, this just, you know, I've been meditating the last couple of weeks on James 1.7, where it says, every good gift Every perfect gift is coming down from our Father of lights in whom there is no change. There's no variable. There's no shifting shadow. He does not change. And, you know, the metaphor is like the sun up there in the universe. <laughs> you know, you can fit, if you carved out the whole of the sun, you could fit one million earths inside the sun. It is this massive compared to planet earth. It is massive. And you know, when we no longer have light, it is not because anything changed in the sun. The sun can have no shadow. It's because something happened in our orbit. <laughs> when you feel a disconnect, the problem is not with the sun. <laughs> a rain cloud is hovering over 
for your life, but the son didn't produce that. <laughs> when it is nighttime, it is because you moved, not the sun. And you know, every good and perfect gift has come from your master. And if, if every good and perfect gift has come from him today to where this, you are in this point in your life, we can trust his nature for that the rest of time he's going to be consistent. He will not change. There's no variable in who he is. We are the ones constantly changing. When we become more aware of his goodness, it's not because he got gooder. <laughs> when we become more aware of his love, it's not because he became more loving. <laughs> you, you had a rain cloud removed from your head that was following you around. <laughs> you had a revelation, but he has always been and he always will be the author and the finisher of everything good. <laughs> and you know, when you see a master like that, you can't. You can't help but run to the door and say, I would rather be a doorkeeper here than to dwell in any other tent where maybe I'll have a name and fame and a kingdom. <laughs> and, you know, this, this is the call of the gospel, that not to be a disgruntled follower of Jesus, because you gave... You gave your life away. You gave your life away because of love, not because you were buried under a pile of your sin. He removed your sin. He removed your condemnation. He removed your guilt. He removed your shame. And he gave you freedom. He, he gave you eternity. He gave you access. And what we choose to do with our freedom is the gift of our will. And, and I see a generation rising up that's not getting messy with their freedom. That's not getting messy with the price that our, our bondservant Jesus paid. That they're not deciding where is the line. How close can I get to the line and still have a pierced ear? I, I see a generation rising up that doesn't even care where the line is because they've ran to the doorpost and they said, I would rather dwell here than, than the tents of, of the wicked all the days of my life. I've given away my rights, not because it's what I'm supposed to do, not, not because it's what Christians do, but because I have fallen in love. I have fallen in love. And, you know, we see all throughout the New Testament's heroes of the faith. Paul, Peter, James, Jude, the first title they give themselves, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Peter, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If anybody could have put friend first. It would have been them. If anyone could have put son first, and it would have been accurate and right.
right. But when you know who you are, when you know what he whispers in your name in the dark of the night, you just want the world to know. I have on purpose marked and identified myself with this man for the rest of my life. I have on purpose gave away my rights. I have on purpose I have on purpose laid down everything I have to walk with this Jesus, to talk with this Jesus. And, you know, this, this is what friends do. Jesus said, you know, there is no greater love than that you would lay down your life for your friend. And, you know, it's hard to tell the difference between a bondservant and a friend. They're both doing the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, we see there in, in Luke, you know, there's this story about Jesus. He's, he's invited over to a Pharisee's house in Luke 7 to have dinner. And, you know, he decides, yeah, sure, I'll go. Because he has so much time, I noticed. <laughs> like, Jesus just has so much time. We try to have people over for dinner. It's like, oh, my gosh. It is, it is a giant thing to have someone over for dinner. Every other chapter, he is going somewhere to eat a meal, you know. And this, this word, recline at the table, you know, we see this all over the New Testament. He's just reclining at the table, you know. Like, I'm like, like what is it? Is it like recliners, like just you know, pop up your feet. Like, what is happening? Like, I came to recline at the table. Like, I, I, I and you know, I was just doing some research on that, on that word. And, you know, culturally, they didn't sit in chairs at the table. Culturally, it was like beds. And they literally laid at the table. And they, they, they ate from a posture of, of laying down with one another. And literally when John was reclining at the table with Jesus and laying his chest on, on Jesus' chest, he was literally right at his chest. It was like, you ever try to picture John like, you look awkward, you know? like It's like the disciple Jesus loved and you're like awkward, you know? But, that wasn't it at all. They were literally laying with one another at the table. And, you know, it, there was one, one passage where he, he's just being accused for eating with sinners and eating with tax collectors. And, you know, he says, I didn't come to, you know, I, I came to be with those who need healing. And it was literally, you know, the presence of Jesus amongst us that makes us whole. It's, it's not a gift that he gives us. It's literally Emmanuel, God with us. That it's not, it's not a gift he ripped off of his life and said, take it and go. He said, I am the answer. My presence at your table is what's going to heal you and set you free. You know, he called Zacchaeus down from that tree. Everyone hated him. And he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat with you today. Let's go lay down. You know? And he's, he, he doesn't even address Zacchaeus' massive 
issue. You're stealing money. That's why everyone hates you. Like, you deserve to be hated. <laughs> You're stealing from old people. Like, that's not okay, you know? And somehow, just being in the presence of Jesus, somehow just being with this man, laying at the table, he on his own says, I'm going to give back double everything I've ever taken. And there's a conviction that wells up in Zacchaeus. I cannot be the same after being with you. And we've all had that feeling. That's how we're sitting where we're sitting tonight. Like, something's got to change and it's not with the sun. <laughs> like, something's changing in here. And, you know, so Jesus is literally laying at the Pharisee's house. He's just laying there. And a woman from the city hears he's laying there, and it's going to take a while. So she, she heads into town, and she, it says she is standing behind him at his feet, weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this, this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And, and Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have some things to say to you. <laughs> Simon, I'm about to give you some feedback. I, I just want to let you know. Are you, are you ready for this? He's like, say it. Say it, teacher. And... And he tells a story, and he says, a certain moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. And that, that word owed shows up right in our first story. It's the same word, duty. Duty, it's, it's, my duty is what I owe you. And, and Jesus is saying, when, when the master shows up and forgives both the debts, which, which one will love him more? And he says, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this then that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And, you know, our awareness of what we have been forgiven of is a direct result of our love. <laughs> that, that staying close to the kindness of a master, the kindness of a master that I am aware that I, I, I have been rescued. You know, love, love, love runs into the, into the house from, from working all day long for the master and finds him and, and does what this woman does. Duty will never do that because duty is so tired. And, and we've been there. <laughs> You're so tired. 
something erupts out of our soul that I have to find Jesus, that I have to find the master. It's, you know, when we, there's this saying that we're going to be a nameless and faceless generation. And I love the heart behind there's no longer just going to be these superstars that pop up throughout history, but it's going to be an entire generation of sons and daughters carrying the pierced ear of bondservant love for Jesus. And when we're in the field and we're taking care of the sheep and we're working the plow and we're advancing the kingdom, you are nameless and faceless. (laughs) There is 500 people that could do it better than I do it. (laughs) And I am so okay with that. But when you get into the house, (laughs) you have a name and you have a face because you have a relationship with the master. You have a relationship. That is where your uniqueness comes from. That's where your value comes from. That's where your identity comes from. And, you know, that, that is why we cherish the assignments he's put in our hand. That's why we cherish the opportunities to serve that he puts in our lap. Not because we're going to be the best. Not because we're going to shock everybody with how awesome we are, you know, in the kids' church. (laughs) But because I love the master. Because I cherish what he cherishes. These aren't my sheep. (laughs) They belong to my king. And I'm going to love what my king loves. I'm going to cherish what my king cherishes. Not out of discipline, but out of delight. And, you know, I'm just so moved when he's, he's just giving this Pharisee feedback about what love looks like. And, you know, I, when we think about eternity, when we have ended our life, What we're going to care about is is this. You know, Jesus said a a different Mary that, that was being extravagant. And everyone was saying, this is a waste. This is a waste of your life, a waste of your resources. And Jesus responded, you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. And this, you know, this is why I'm, I'm, I, I believe in a life with boundaries because I have a master. I have priorities when it comes to what I do because I don't belong to myself. And, you know, I, I come to this passage sometimes when I feel in debt to people. And he brings me back to this passage and say, hey, you gave your right away to live under that. You gave your right away to be in debt to any human being ever again, even if they need you. You gave your right away. You you gave it away. You signed the rest of your life away in love. And a thousand pounds of pressure falls off of me. And pure love has a place to erupt from my soul because I need nothing when I give. In eternity, it's going to matter that I, I gave not to receive, but I gave because of love. And, you know, John the Baptist did this so well. 
And I, I've just been studying him a little bit, and my heart's just been burning as I've been looking at this man who the last, the last words of the Old Testament were prophesying, I'm going to send the spirit of Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of fathers back to sons and sons to fathers. And, you know, there was hundreds of years of silence before John the Baptist shows up on the scene. And he comes with one assignment, prepare the way for Jesus. He had given away his entire life for this one assignment. You know, and literally, culturally, people would go before kings and get sticks out of the way and help the roads to be smooth and create a passageway from a place of honor for a king to come through. And John the Baptist's entire life was wrapped up in the mission of Jesus. And he gave his entire life to honor Jesus. And, you know, he, he, he was 30 years old when, you know, I just imagine hanging out in the wilderness for 30 years. In that culture, you were considered an adult at 12. There's like a bit like, you're wasting your life out here with the locusts and the honey. I mean, I was like, what are you doing out there for so long? You know, and finally his hour comes on the scene. And he, he is preparing the way that no longer would prophets say, he's coming. He's coming. No longer would they point to the day of our deliverance when our Savior would finally come. He, he would come as a voice crying out in the wilderness saying, he's here. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, you know, the, his disciples, after Jesus came and he baptized him, he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't even touch your sandal. Ah, you know, and his, his disciples are like, come to John. John, have you heard that Jesus is baptizing more disciples than you are? And, you know, let's hear what you think about that. You know? <laughs> and he's like, I told you. I am not the Christ. I told you I was making a way for the Christ. I was making a way. I was preparing a way. And, you know, when, when the bridegroom comes and you're the friend of the bridegroom and you hear the sound of his voice, your joy is complete. And, you know, he's saying that, that word complete means you're not wanting anything. And he had fulfilled his assignment in the voice of Jesus, the happy sound of a bridegroom being connected to his bride. And, you know, John gave his life and he said, in this context, I must decrease the sound of the Old Testament prophets saying he's coming, he's coming. That is over. The sound of the voice of a happy bridegroom has to increase. The sound of a kingdom that's at hand. The sound of a Jesus that's walking amongst us. And he gave his life. He died in prison with his head on a platter, questioning. You know, the last we hear of John the Baptist is his sending his friends can you just make sure he was the one? I had one job. I had one job and I'm dying here in prison. Can you make sure he was the one? And you know, Jesus, when his disciples walk away, Jesus, you know, you can 
feel the tender, the tenderness. He was his cousin. He, he, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. All he ever knew in relation to Jesus was joy. You know, his disciples were concerned he was going to be jealous. They were, they were concerned that, you know, he was gaining more momentum. And, you know, John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb when Jesus walked in the room. He leapt with joy in his mother's womb when Jesus walked in the room without even knowing Jesus. And now he's standing there in the presence, you know, of his life ending. And he, he gave, he didn't, I, I don't even think he died knowing the extent of what Jesus thought about him. <laughs> After the disciples walked away, he said, there has never been a woman, that, a, a person born of a woman greater than John. But those, you know, that's least in the kingdom, those that realize there's nothing we're waiting on anymore. The kingdom is within you. It's, it's, the, it's the counting the cost and laying down our life that we may receive and, and see the beauty of what is at hand. So why don't we go ahead and all stand up? And so Jesus, we just we just so happily just refresh ourselves again tonight with just the reality of the joy of having a pierced ear. <laughs> and and we we just we just give a thousand yeses. Come what may, come what may, our yes is with you. Our trust in your nature is with you. And there's nothing we would rather do with our life than to invest it in you, Jesus, than to lay it down at your feet and, and, and just say, Jesus, have your way with us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.